As I look out across the land, I see God's mighty hand, the bride of Christ adorned in a wedding gown. Well, just like in the days of old, they stood in courage bold, they turned that old world upside down. today. Piano's loud. Sorry, I can't hear you. How's everyone doing today? Oh, that's better. Praise God. Everyone's doing good. That's wonderful. If anyone's doing bad, I couldn't hear you. So we're doing good. Wonderful. Good to be back in the house of the Lord again tonight, isn't it? Amen. Thank you, musicians. That's all the singing will do. You can have your seats if you like. I welcome you to the first young peoples of this young people's year. Thank you, Brother Micah and Brother Justice. I did not tell anybody to sit down. So God bless your heart. I appreciate you guys standing. No, everyone can stand up. Please stand up. Everyone, stand up. Come on. 
All right. You know how this works. This is young people's. Did I say you could take your seats? I did. Joel, did I say you could take your seats? My goodness. I don't even know the old words coming out of my mouth. I'm anointed already. No, I'm just kidding. That's All right. How's everybody? Doing good. We're here. We're ready for young people's. We had a good summer. We got together at summer lots. I know we did. I didn't host everything, but you guys all got together lots. There was lots of gym things going on and people having fellowship and Sunday afternoon fellowship and going out. I work with Brother Ethan, so I know there was a lot of shawarma and donairs amongst the young brothers. Things like that seems to be a thing people eat, but I'm happy that you're all satisfied. It's a few head nods, kind of. We're hungry now. We do have some food afterwards after the service tonight. Sister Sandy is going to get, get some food together for us so we can have fellowship afterwards downstairs. Um, and we can enjoy that, one another's fellowship and company. Amen. Amen. You all got your Bibles and you're wondering, Brother Andrew, can't we just start the service? What's going on? Well, next weekend we're going to also have young people's. I know it seems crazy we're doing two weeks in a row right away, but... Next weekend, Brother Jean Manassi will be with us, and he's going to minister the youth service in the, uh, on Friday. So, Brother Jean Manassi is from uh, Cloverdale Bible Way. If you haven't heard him speak, he's a wonderful minister there, and he's, I'm looking forward to what the Lord's going to do through his ministry in our midst. Amen? Amen. So, let's keep that in prayer. I'm sharing that with you, so you can keep that in prayer as well, that God will move amongst us. Amen. Amen. Y'all got your Bibles? Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Amen. If I did tell you, you could be seated. I apologize. Brother Mike and Brother Justice understood what I meant, which was to stay standing. So we'll sort that out later, I guess. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you got the schedule, if you read the schedule, then you know that I asked you, to listen to that great warrior, David. How many read the schedule? Okay, I'm not going to ask you how many listened to the service. I'll just let that be on your own conscience, and uh, whether you did or not. But that's just something to prepare your heart. I don't know how deep we're going to go into it today or where we're going to get to, but uh, really the Lord's laid on my heart to speak to you in the next few services about David and... and uh, being an overcoming young person. So I trust that'd be all right with you. And if it isn't, I trust by the end of it, it's all right with you. Amen. I'm just trying to get comfortable here, and I'm trying to get you all comfortable. And it's very echoey in here, because I think you've got the monitors turned up still, and I don't really need to hear myself that much. But 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'm going to start with Brother Philip Callahan. If you'd start with verse 1 and just start going this way. Verse 2, Brother Stephen. Verse 3, Brother uh, Nathan. Verse 4, Brother Marshall. Verse 5, Brother Ethan. And then we'll jump over to Brother Stefan all the way down to verse 13. So once it gets over here to Brother Joel, Sister Esther, and start coming back. All right? Go ahead, Brother Philip.
Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou to Jerusalem? But he said, Behold, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his son, and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word, read by the many voices of young people, Lord. And Father, pray now you give us the understanding of these words that are read as we commit the service to you in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, I mean it, you can have your seats. Amen. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16 is a very familiar scripture to young people especially. It's something that's been talked about in Sunday school, Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 17, where we talk about David and Goliath and all these things happening. And David is a, he's such a key figure in the Bible. He's talked about many, many, many times. And we use him often as an example. We use him often um, as, as, as such a great uh, example for us as Christians, as a great example in the Scripture for many different principles in the Word. And David was a mighty man of God. And he was a mighty king. He was God's choosing of a king. We know what happened right before this, how Saul was rejected by God. And Samuel was actually out. It was read in verse, in verse 1 where it talked about the Lord said, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? Saul was rejected, and Samuel was such a well-renowned man in Israel because Samuel came about in a time when there was no open vision in Israel. There was no prophet. There was nothing happening. And, and, but Samuel was raised up by God. He was raised in the temple. He was put in such a peculiar place, and he didn't speak. The Bible didn't record him speaking anything that wasn't true and didn't come to pass, and he was just a, a phenomenal man of God that everyone looked to and respected and knew when he spoke, it was going to happen. 
to the point where when he came to Bethlehem in order to make a sacrifice, as the Lord had told him, because the Lord told him, go to Jesse, and I've chosen a man to be king. I've chosen myself a king of the sons of Jesse. But Samuel was a was wise man. He was very, uh, he had very good situation situational awareness in the fact that he knew if I just walk into the house of Jesse, everyone's going to be wondering, what am I doing there? What's going on? Why did Samuel go to Jesse? And they're going to be asking questions. So he says, Lord, I can't just walk in there and just do whatever I want to just have, have dinner with him and things. I need an excuse. The Lord says, well, go up and, and Lord gives them a way to be a little bit more discreet. It says, go up there and just say, I've come to sacrifice. I've come peaceably. And they actually, when he comes to the gates, the Bible records, they look fearfully upon him. Why, why are you come here, Samuel? We know that God, through you, has, has rejected you, you. You chose Saul, and now God has rejected Saul. And now you're coming up here to Bethlehem. What is the purpose? There was a something, I'll say, something in the air that they recognized the season that they were living in. Things were about to change. And God wasn't going to do it in a different way. If, if the Lord does anything, he'll reveal it to his servants, the prophets. So they recognized, here comes the prophet. What are you doing here? We don't want no trouble from Saul because Saul, everyone knew, was under an evil spirit and he would likely be interested in what was going on where Samuel was. Because Saul Saul still reverenced Samuel and looked to Samuel even when he had come to his last battle and was looking for something. He said, Samuel's gone. He finally went to a wit, the witch of Endor to do what? To call up Samuel. Because he knew whatever Samuel says, that will happen. So he was very interested in the whereabouts. So they said, we don't want no trouble from Saul. So why are you here, Samuel? Because th this is really going to cause us an issue. But he said, no, no, no. I come peaceably. I don't come with any trouble. I don't want any trouble here. I'm just coming to sacrifice. And as far as anybody knows, I'm just here to sacrifice. All right, well, you're just here. In other words, I'm here to worship God. And as long as you're here to worship God, that doesn't abide out of the ordinary. That won't ring any bells with Saul. We'll be able to accommodate that, whatever you need. And of course, he calls up the son, Jesse, and his sons. And Jesse, as we know, brings up his sons. He brings up all of them except for David. And as he brings them before um, uh, Samuel, of course, Samuel looks upon them in a way that we look upon people. He looks at Eliab, the firstborn, and he begins to see him. He's strong. He's got big shoulders. He, he's tall. He can take a lot. And maybe he looked a lot like, you know, Mark Perizok or someone like that. He would just, he had it together. He was doing good in school. He had, had, had a job. He had everything going for him. He thought, this is the kind of guy we need. This is what we need around here. But God says, no, looking for someone you don't think is so obvious. Huh, sorry, I don't mean to put a name in there, but I'm going to use a few names tonight because we're in young people's. Try to make it a little more personal. Is that all right? Whether it's all good, Brother Andrew, until you use my name. <laughs> but we need to make it personal because this is for you. Amen. But we find as he got there, that's the way we often look at people. We don't look at them, but God looks on the harp. This is when God brings this principle into the scripture when he begins to say, I don't look on the outward appearance of men. I don't look at their accomplishments and what they've done. I look on their heart. I'm looking at who they are. He says, I've chose. I've already told you, Samuel, I chose myself one. So finally it comes down. He says, well, God's rejected all your sons. Haven't you got one more? Because Samuel knew the word of God is true. 
He knew what it was when God spoke to him. So regardless of the fact that he didn't see another son there, he could look at it and go, something else is going on. Either A, you've got another son somewhere else, or your wife's pregnant. Thank you, you're with me. Because somehow there's someone else, because God told me, a son of Jesse. Like, I've chosen myself a king, so someone's coming somewhere. So he says, yeah, I've got one more, but you know, he's out there, and he was a pretty boy. He was. He was fair to look upon. If you listen to the way Brother Bram talks about him, oh, he was handsome. But yet he didn't look very strong. He didn't look very much like a warrior. But we know how Brother Bram titles that message I asked you all to listen to. That great warrior, David. He was a great warrior, because it doesn't come down to appearances. But even as, as, as David comes up before Samuel, and he was ruddy, and with all a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to, he didn't have all the, the rugged, rough-looking features. He was goodly to look to. And, and, and then the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. I don't just take this as we just start on this subject tonight. What was David like before he ever met Samuel? Just there himself, the youngest boy, youngest amongst all of these boys that have come up, and he had some sisters too, you could read about it in Chronicles, I think it's chapter 3, talks about the lineage of David, and all of his siblings' children, and his sister's children, and things, and actually Joab, his nephew, was the son of his oldest sister, and, uh, and you, you read about all these different ones that he had, but here he's the youngest boy, and he's, he's out there just tending the sheep, but he was faithful, Something to the point, this is before now, this is David before the anointing. Before he got the anointing oil, something about him got God's attention. To the point where God spoke to his prophet and said, I've got one that I've chosen. Let me just say it this way, and they're not even born again. Because he hadn't received the anointing oil yet. That was the type there. But he was, had the attention of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So in other words, David was a man of faith. Even as a young person, because something about him pleased God, that God had enough intuition to choose David because David had got his recognition because we know that God chooses and his foreknowledge and everything, but it wasn't just foreknowledge and he's out there being a renegade, but rather he says, no, he's ready to be anointed. It wasn't just that, well, no, now's the see. Wherever David's at, fine, we'll just, this is it. We need a new king now. I've rejected Saul. We need somebody else. No, that wasn't that what was happening here. He was saying, no, David's come to a place. Because there was a, a period of time bef- between Samuel chapter 15 and Samuel chapter 16 in which God rejects Saul, and then God comes to Samuel and says, how long will you mourn for Saul? God doesn't come to someone a day of mourning and say, snap out of it. There's been some time. There's been a season where Samuel seemingly has done nothing. Why? Because he's mourning for Saul. He says, no, I've now got somebody that's ready to receive that I'm recognizing their faith in me. 
Because David, Brother Benham would say in that great warrior David, he says, David, before anything ever happened, before he'd ever had the anointing oil or anything on him, he knew God was with him. Hallelujah. Before he ever got there, he knew God was already with him. See, but he wasn't born again, but he believed. And God was with him. He said he killed the bear. Now, I looked at it in the scripture, and, I, and nowhere in the scripture does it talk about when he killed the bear and when he killed the lion. But Brother Branham places it and says, before he ever got the anointing oil, God was with him. He killed a bear. He killed a lion with that slingshot. He knowed that was super for an ordinary man to do that. Think about this for a moment. He begins to describe David before he ever met Samuel. Before he ever got the anointing oil. He said something happened in his life that he knew this is beyond me. That I'm not anointed for anything. I'm just a shepherd boy out here. As far as he knew, I'm just a shepherd. This is what I'll be my whole life. I'm a shepherd, I'm a singer, I play. He was not yet called to the courts of Saul to play or sing or anything like that. He was just out there tending the sheep, practicing his harp, listening to mama and dada, doing what he was asked to do, and doing it to the best of his ability. But he knew something extraordinary had happened where he had made a decision with a bear and a lion that was beyond human. But now it was, it was extraordinary, but something had been instilled in him as a child from his righteous father and mother, Jesse, who was the son of Boaz and, 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 and Ruth. And, and he was raised by Naomi. And all of these things had come forth through, through, through these, these, these mentors and through this heritage that had come into Jesse and now it had been instilled in David where now David is beginning to live a life as a young person that's pleasing to God. Maybe in the eyes of anybody else, they're not doing anything extraordinary. But this in the killing of a lion and in the killing of a bear, it was private. But he knew God was with him because his whole heart beat after God. He said in the 47th Psalm, I believe or somewhere in there, but the Bible says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so my soul thirsts after thee, O God. No wonder he could play that evil spirits away with his music. He had something to play about. Now, I'm sure David, because I know he wrote Psalms of Victory. Psalms of great triumph, psalms of great worship, and I'm not preaching on music tonight. But in all of it, there was something about it. He's saying he had something to sing about, something to write about. It was a relationship with God that he knew God was with him. That was worth singing about. That was something that drove the evil spirits away. When he knew God did something in his heart and his heart was beating after God. In other words, all he desired to do was please God. And when you desire to please God, it drives the devil away. If your desire is to please the Lord, Satan can't stay around that. That's not the most jump up and down emphatic thing, but yet it's emphatic. Even though you might not make you, you say, well, I didn't, I, I didn't do any great victorious thing, Brother Andrew. 
but you desired to please God. God looks on the heart of man. In other words, Eliab, his oldest brother, was something that was catching to a man. To look upon him and his, 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 his feats and what he'd done, it was something that a man would look at and say, that's a real incredible person. He's really accomplished. He's a good warrior. But Eliab's heart was wrong. Yeah, we know there's noises out there. They're okay. They'll come and they'll go. But people do. If you can hear me and you want to come and hear the word, just come hear the word. You don't have to stay outside. It's okay. But now, as, as Eliab had that kind of, of, a, of a, a countenance about him, God wasn't pleased with it. God was pleased with David. Because David had relationship with God. Eliab, in other words, was doing it to please God. Men, because it looked good, because it got praise, because it got all of these other things that, that, that men crave after. They want to be respected. They want people to look at them and say, that's a great guy. He's tough. He's got great big muscles. He's really good at that. He's good at that. He's good at his job. He's good at this over here. He's good at that over there. Men want that. I desire that. That's human desire for someone to say, good job. Amen. We appreciate that. That's what Brother Branham says. Uh, you know, when he talked to the one minister, and the minister said, Brother Branham, you, you know, you, you let people praise you too much. I don't like people to come to me and say good preaching or something like that. And Brother Branham says, well, there's one difference between you and me, brother. I'm telling the truth. I like it when people come and say good job. Because that's human nature. That's just the way we are. That's the way we're built. You don't want to do a good job at work and your boss come over and say, meh. You're like, but I worked hard on that. I fixed that truck. It was a problem that you couldn't even fix. And you don't even care. No, you want them to say, hey, good job. You've done a good job. Well done. Thank you so much. You desire those kinds of things. But Eliab, that was what his heart was after. It wasn't that David didn't like those things. David liked those things. I'm sure he enjoyed it when his dad said, you did a good job taking care of the sheep. Thank you for going out today with the sheep again. Thank you for taking them to clean pastures. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing that. You, you, you do a good job. I'm sure Jesse told him, you're doing a great job playing your harp. You with me? I'm sure he did. I, I'm, I'm positive Jesse didn't go, oh, I can't stand his playing. He's always on that harp thing again. When's he ever going to take up the bow and arrow? No, he probably praised him. Thought, Man, he's good at the harp. But he was a good dad. He probably looked over at Eliab and realized, Eliab's not a heart player, but he's good with the bow and arrow. So I'm not going to be hard on Eliab because he can't play the harp. Because that's what a father can do. But God looked on the heart of the individual. He was looking at them in a different way. And now as, as, as David began to be raised up in this kind of a home, I'm describing to you a home that many of you were raised in. A godly mother, a godly father, who tried to nurture you in the admonition, raise you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and tried to make sure they, they, they encouraged the good things and encouraged what you were good at and encouraged those kinds of things. And those things are good. But, I, but I'm bringing it down to a deeper level to say, with what motive and with what objective do you do these things with? 
Those that are, are, are your, your peers or those that are, I'll say, above you, and I don't mean to say they're above you, but I mean to say you know, they're, they're more mature than you maybe, they would look at you and say, you're doing a good job. There's ones that, that, that play the piano. I got my mother-in-law as a piano player. They enjoy Brother Philip's piano playing and the other pianists in here as well. But I'm just using an example here. I told you I use names. They enjoy Brother Phil's piano playing, and they say he does a good job, and they appreciate it. I know that for a fact. They really enjoy it. They've told me that personally. However, what's the motive of Brother Philip playing? Is it to show them how good he is? I don't think that's the reason why he plays. But rather to say, Lord, I desire to please you. How can I make this a greater worship? How can I make a greater atmosphere in the presence of God? How can I be conducive to a positive atmosphere to the Holy Spirit moving in our midst? See, he says, my heart panteth after the water brooks and my soul thirsts after thee, O God. No wonder he could play in evil spirits, play the evil spirits away with his music. He had something to play about. It came from his heart. The devil knew that was from his heart. And he knew that David was elected of God. Without the anointing oil, what was David able to do? Without being having the oil on his head, able to slay a bear, slay a lion. Able to play and write psalms that were pleasing to the Lord. But what about you? The just shall live by faith. What about you? What are you able to do just with faith? When you're baptized and you believe and repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it makes you, Brother Brown would say, candidate to receive the Holy Ghost. That's familiar to all of you. That doesn't mean that instantly you're filled. You can be that way. It can be in the future. But rather you're believing unto receiving the Holy Ghost, being filled with the Holy Ghost. But now, when you're believing unto that, what could you do just with faith? Because when God fills you with the Holy Ghost, that's Him recognizing your faith and coming to make His abode with you. But now, what can you do just based on faith? Even though you might be here tonight saying, Brother Andrew, I don't think I'm born again. That doesn't make you helpless. Because here was David by type, not born again, but still able to do mighty things that he knew that wasn't me. God is with me. Even though he's not in my soul and I'm not born again, he's still with me. He still cares about me. He still recognizes my faith into a term of saying, when I believe, he answers my prayer. He's always there. His ear is open when I call. I know that when I believe, I shall have what I ask for. Even without it, he had enough faith by humbling himself. To, he had enough faith in the promise to defeat spiritual bears and lions. You have enough faith. Without the new birth, you can have enough faith by humbling yourself to the promise of God to defeat spiritual bears and lions. What are bears and lions in our lives? They're personal decisions. Personal decisions. The lion and the bear were not a factor in David's life until a set time. 
They were not something that was lingering around. It wasn't something that he had to keep shooing away and it would come back. You don't just go up to a lion and say, shoo. A lion's not scared of you waving your arms. Maybe a bear is a little bit. Maybe you could scare it away a time or two. But if a bear is really hungry and it sees a nice lamb, juicy lamb sitting there, it's not too scared about you waving its arms. It's got its eyes on something. It's hungry. It's starving. It's looking for something. Same thing with a lion. When a lion's hungry and it sees its prey, it's not worried about you waving its arms. You're just a problem in the way of its next meal. It's hunting. It's looking for something. But it wasn't something that was a lingering cycle. I want to just break this through to you. The lion and the bear was not a lingering cycle in David's life. He didn't defeat it and it come back again and defeat it and it come back again and defeat it and come back again. No, he killed it. It was once and it was over. In other words, it was a decision. It was something that came up that whatever way he went with it, that was the decision he was going to have to live with. And these decisions that he had to make, these are private decisions because we don't even hear about the lion and the bear until David himself talks about them in the tent of Saul in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. When, Samuel, when David brings it up and he says, I killed, the Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He'll deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. That was the words of David. Not anybody else. No, it was David that spoke those words. And we didn't hear about anything else before that. So this was something that was private. That nobody else maybe knew about or nobody witnessed or nobody else seen. But David knew about it. It was a struggle that he had. That he had to make a decision that he could either run and perhaps save a, a portion of his daddy's flock and save some of the sheep. And he might lose some and count his losses. And he would have a good story. He'd be able to go back to dad and say, listen, I lost one lamb or, or two sheep or something like that, but I got the rest out of there. There was a lion that came. There was a bear that came. And this is what happened, but, but we did pretty good. And I'm sure his dad would have said, hey, good job. You saved the rest. Are you with me? But this was a decision time, personal. He didn't have time to run back to dad and mom and say, what should I do? It was a personal decision. Maybe there was discussions beforehand that he had and say, well, sometimes, David, you'll be out there on your own and you might face some adversaries. There might be a, a wild dog or, you know, because as parents, we don't talk to scare our children and say, yeah, there's going to be a lion coming up and a big old male lion. And no, no, like you know, there might be a wild dog or maybe something that might do some damage or a badger or something. But, you know, just deal with it according to you as you think, or maybe just run. I'm, I'm more concerned about you, David, than I am about the sheep, okay? I want you to understand that. I care about your well-being, David, and I want you to be safe and you not to have anything that would harm you. So if something happens, you know, just, just get out of there, save what you can, but I understand it's okay. The Lord's blessed us. He'll bless us again. I care about you, David. That's the love of a parent. But now this was now decision time. Nobody else around to make the decision for him. It's private. It's between him. It's just him and the sheep, the blessing of God, and the enemy. That's all that's there. Him, the sheep, and the, and the enemy. And he's got to make the decision, what am I going to do? I could run, tuck my tail, I'll say, and run the other direction and save with what I could. And dad and mom would be happy because I didn't get hurt. Or I can face the enemy head on. But David wasn't one that had spent his time worrying about the enemy. David was one that had spent his time worshiping God. 
and singing psalms and practicing his harp and thinking about the sheep and making sure he had enough honey in his script bag to make sure he could take care of the sheep if they needed some limestone or some rock or some mineral or something else because he cared about them deeply to a point where he come to love them. He had come to love the sheep, I want to say, in this represent the very blessing of God in David's life. It represents the blessing of God in our lives. David had come to love the blessing of God. So much so that he loved the blessing of God so much so that when he went down to where the Philistines were encamped and Israel was camped and David came out and made his boast, he didn't immediately jump up and say, I've got this, Let me, I'm going to go take him on. No, the first question he asked was what? Anybody know? Nobody knows. The first question was, what will be done? What's the blessing that I'm going to get if I take this Goliath out? He come to love the blessing of God so much. And he said, hey, what are you going to bless me if I do this? I'm not doing this for free, fellows. <laughs> come on. This is types now. There's something you have with God as a son of God or a daughter of God. You're not a beggar. You've got a right through the blood of Jesus to come boldly before a stone and say, Lord, I got this problem in my life, but you're going you're gonna to help me overcome it. But now, what's in it for me? Are you with me? I really enjoy this. Oh, okay, we're going here. All right. I really enjoy my time on YouTube. But that's a Goliath. I enjoy my social media. But that's a Goliath. Oh my. I enjoy these other fleshly indulgences. But they become a Goliath in your life. And it becomes something that you look at and go, but if I get rid of this, where is my joy going to come from? So I'm not going to reach to you tonight and say, you just need to get rid of it and whatever is, what is. No, you got a right to go to God and say, Lord, then if I get rid of this, will you be my joy? What will be my joy? What will be my peace? What will be the spender of my time? How will you take up these things, Lord? If I slay this Goliath and I do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, what are you going to do for me, for me in return? Because I'm not interested in just sitting around doing nothing with my head buried in the sand. I'm interested in living a life. Are you with me? We're human. I want to live a life. You want to live a life, don't you? I don't want to sit there and go, well, I just have to twiddle my thumbs until one day I get married. <sighs> Nobody likes me. That's, that's what that generates. Are you with me? If you're going to sit around and do nothing until you get married, sisters, you're going to generate and say, I'm just going to be an old maid and no one will ever marry me and I'm going to be 40 and single still. That's the attitude that comes from that. But rather say, no, I, I desire to live life. But Lord, what are you going to do for me? Because I don't want to spend my time doing worldly, fleshly indulgences. I don't want to spend them just making mush out of my own brain. I want God to be putting in me the very principles of life, the very eternal life of God. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So what can I do to make sure that's going to happen? Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Let's not sit around. 
Let's be doers. Let's be industrious. Let's make sure we're doing what we can for the kingdom of God. It's not always spiritual. And, and you can't just be so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. You can't just be all about, I just, if it's not spiritual, I ain't going to do it, Brother Andrew. Well, okay. I, God bless you, but I can't use you then. Because sometimes there's things you got to do. Even as a minister, you're like, man, I feel real carnal right now. But sometimes I got to go help somebody do something real simple and real fleshly. To help them spiritually. Sometimes that's just the way it is. You can't be no earthly good. We're off track, but I I just trust that's all right. Well, I know it is. But these decisions that came, this bear and this this, this lion, as quickly as they came, they were gone. But the effects of them lasted his life and they affected his future decisions I can imagine if David had ran from the lion and ran from the bear when he came to Goliath he would have ran because it would have set a precedence they say well I can't do that I can't do that I certainly can't do that but because something in him rose up to make a different decision a decision to stand for the blessing of God Rather than the blessing that men would look at. That men would say, well listen, this is my decision. I'm offering you this job. All you have to do is work Sundays. I'm offering you this position. I'll give you a raise. All you got to do is go out here and do this. All you got to do is do this. And pretty soon you begin forsaking the blessing of God for the blessing of man. That's what Eliab did. He wasn't interested in the blessing. He was interested in the blessing of man. He was a great, a captain in the army. He he was somebody as far as man looked at him. But to God, he wasn't the chosen one. God looked at another young man that to everybody else was just, uh, he just wasn't much of anybody. But he says, that's the one because he's put me first. He's chosen my blessing to be of a greater value than any other blessing in the world. Hallelujah. But as quickly as these decisions came, they were gone, but the effects lasted his lifetime. David could have made any decision, but he chose to make the right decision. Personal choices. Will you make the decision that honors God? Or will you shy away and allow the devil to take your blessings? Pretty soon you find, and you say, Andrew, you just put out there working on Sunday really quick. We could put a lot of things out there, but you find what happens is when you begin to put natural desires before the blessing of God, you find yourself on a treadmill. So pretty soon you're wondering, why can't I sleep at night? Why do I have to take sleeping drugs to go to sleep and wake up drugs to wake up? Well, why, what, what are you doing that's not blessing God? Right. What are you doing that's putting you in that kind of a situation where now you're so stressed out you can't stop your mind? There's other things that go in with that. Why do I have no joy? Why can't I focus in service? Why am I so distracted with everything else going on? What are you feeding on? That's why we've preached against lately TikTok. It's something that turns your brain into mush. 
where literally you find out you can't focus. You can't sit in service and listen any longer. I know these things. Imagine you know these things? Yes, because I had to try them out to preach against them. Imagine you tried it out? Yes. Not literally the app of TikTok. I went on YouTube, watched their shorts. And for about a week straight, I just went flip, 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 flip. And then I went and turned on a message. Five minutes in, I picked up my phone again, YouTube, flip, flip, flip. And I'm like, put it back down, listen to a message. Five minutes in, my mind's on something else. Then my mind's on something else. And I'm going, I can't even focus anymore. One week. I did my own personal study to make sure I could preach it to young people and say, this is what it does to your brain. It turns it to literal mush where all of a sudden you can't even focus anymore. You can't even stay focused. Yeah, it was a, it was a hard road back. Sometimes you gotta, I had to put myself through that as a minister of God. I'm not recommending everyone go do it so they can try it out. But I had to put myself through something to say, Lord, I need to know that I'm not just preaching something that I read in an article. But that way I could show you. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to go out and try drugs and try this and try that. Let's not be ridiculous. <laughs> But I had to try something out that wasn't, that wasn't hard. But I said, listen, these things, because this is a psychological tool that you could say, well, it doesn't do that to me. Yeah, it does. I know I'm born again and filled with the Holy Ghost, and it did it to me. Where I had to stop and go, okay, Lord, I need to literally put my phone away and do nothing. And I drove for hours in my truck at work in silence just to get my mind back. Anybody want to know how much fun that was? None. <laughs> but oh, it was so much fun flipping through the phone. and. But you had to ask yourself. I didn't put myself through it to ask the Lord, Lord, what would you do if I overcome this? No, I knew I could overcome it because I had to put God first in it and I had the right motive and objective behind it. But it was something I had to do so I could show you it doesn't work. You can't do TikTok all day and come to church at night and get something out of church. It's not going to work. You can't watch YouTube all day and come on down and listen to a message and suddenly be able to be focused and understand what the prophet's talking about. No, put those things aside. You're going to find your mind racing and running and unable to sleep and unable to focus, unable to be at peace. It ain't worth it. Personal choices. What kind of personal choice do we make? The lion and the bear. Only David was there. Only David knew about it. What was it? Something that nobody else knows about. Your personal choice. A decision that comes up in your life. Are you going to put God first or are you going to put somebody else first? Are you going to put something else before that? Your decision. No one else can make it for you. Nowadays, we have a blessing to have a phone that we can pick up the phone and call the minister or call the dad or call the mom and say, hey, I got this decision to make and I, I'm asking you to pray for me and I need your help with this and we can give you advice. But in the end, you're the one that makes the decision. You're the one that has to say, I put God first. And God's going to know if it came from the heart or if it came from the mind of desiring to please somebody else. Now, let me just turn the page just a little bit here. Hmm. Let's stay here actually for a minute. Just you. 
the blessing and the enemy. Decision time. Just you, the blessing and the enemy. Will it take your integrity? Will you keep your integrity? Or will you give it over to the devil? That was the decision David had to make with the lion and the bear. Was he willing to keep his integrity? Goliath and the Philistines represent a more external public enemy. Something that somebody else maybe can see or something that's bothered you that people can see that it's, it's, it's afflicting you or affecting you. But these other decisions, these are personal. And before the anointing oil, it showed faith in God before being baptized into the body. Faith in the promise before receiving the promise. That sound familiar? Like Abraham had faith in the promise before he ever received it. Staggered not at the promise through faith. But now, you might only have a slingshot of faith and know enough of the word to just call it a knife. I like that type. Because what happened with David? With the bear, he used a slingshot, but the bear was a slingshot of faith. With the lion, he's a slingshot, but that wasn't enough. He had to go catch it by the mane, take his little dagger out, and kill the lion. He didn't have a sword. He didn't have a, know an awful lot. He didn't have a lot of the word going on for him. He just had this little revelation. Sometimes when you need these decisions, you can make them just on faith alone. Just on faith in a principle that you know what the right decision is. But sometimes that isn't enough. And see, with the bear, he needed only the slingshot of faith to kill it. But the lion was more difficult and needed something a little extra. There's decisions you can make on faith simply honoring God. But sometimes there's tough decisions as a young person. You need to make a stand on principle. Not just faith, and I know I'm going to honor God with this, and praise God, I'm going to make this decision. That's what it was with the bear. But now with the lion, David had to stand on principle. He used the slingshot of faith, but he noticed it's not dead. It's not over yet. I got to get real personal with this devil now. Sometimes there's decisions to be made that you need to get personal and you need to stand on a principle of God that you know, listen, I might not understand it all, but I believe that this is the principle that God has taught me. And so I'm going to stand on this even if I don't understand it. Hallelujah. Because how much practice did David have killing lions with daggers? Zero. He didn't try it over and over again. David wasn't writing psalms out there with a bag of sand hanging from a tree, stabbing it, practicing with his dagger moves in this way and that way and this or that. It wasn't what he was doing. He was worshiping God playing on his harp, taking care of the sheep. He had this dagger. He had this slingshot. He knew he needed it for perfection. He had practiced his faith with the slingshot because he was a boy. Boys like doing that kind of thing. He'd practice those things, but that was faith. But now it comes to this little dagger, and he's going, maybe he used that, I don't know, to whittle some wood. 
Help out with something else. Maybe chip open a rock so that the, the sheep could get at the minerals on the inside. You'd use the dagger in different ways, but now all of a sudden he's got a lion. Maybe he's looking at this thing going, I don't even know where the heart of the lion is. Is it under that shoulder? Is it in the front? Is it over here? That thing's huge. But he stood on principle. I'm getting a point out to say he didn't understand it. But he knew it would work. So much so he went right up to the lion. He grabbed it by the mane. You're not getting away from me. (laughs) Hallelujah. That decision's not getting away from me. I'm not letting it go. I'm not letting this opportunity pass me by. I'm going to make sure I make the right decision. Hallelujah. Brother Branham says, where's our leaders that will stand for a principle? Because we haven't got them no more. Where's our churches, our ministers? We'll take the people. In just a, they'll just take the people in just on probation or come in and join the church and do this and have a little sensation or something. Where's those men of God, those prophets that will stand out and dare to defy all the things of the world? Where is those men of integrity? Where are they? They're so soft through intellectual conceptions and things. Still, they're not here no more. Oh, God, have mercy upon us. We need young people that will stand on principle. We need ministers that will stand on principle. We need musicians that will stand on principle. Musicians that will stand and say, I won't play that way because I don't believe it's right. I don't understand why. I can't explain it to you. It doesn't matter what I can explain. What matters is I know that the Holy Ghost is pleased with this, so that's what I'll do. Amen. We're not looking to have all the theology sorted out. We're looking for men of God that will stand for principle. Amen. Singers that will stand for principle. Ministers that I, I can't explain the whole Bible and the whole message to you, but I believe it all from cover to cover and the cover too. Amen. We take it all. But David, David being anointed was God recognizing his faith. In an unanointed way, he was able to have faith enough to make these decisions in the right way. But now we come down to where he was anointed finally to our, our opening scripture where finally David becomes anointed and Brother Branham would take in the message of the Messiah. He says, now for instance, when a man gets saved, he's just like the light that comes into him is about like this little, well, he says white button, but black button on my shirt. He says, and when God comes into the inner part of a man, in the inner part of a man, a man is made up of, in a system of tabernacle. We know that, body, spirit, and soul. Then on the inside is the soul. He says, when it comes in just like the size of that button, and it begins to create an atmosphere around him on the inside, one entrance to go into the Shekinah glory, where God can enter into him and take over in the control tower, in the soul, and that's, the, and, and, and that's the way is through self-will. So I want you to understand something when I'm getting here. Here's David that made some decisions based on faith, made the right decisions. So when it came time for this decision now where he comes out into and he begins to stand before Samuel, he even makes the right decision there where he, God anoints his head with oil. Samuel pours the anointing oil over him and he doesn't go out and go, I'm the next king. He makes the right decision written between the lines in the scripture. He doesn't tell anybody. What does he do? He goes back to the sheep. He goes right on back to tending the sheep. 
Praise God. When I get born again, Brother Andrew, my whole life is going to change. I'm going to get a new job. I'm going to get a new, oh my goodness, everything's going to change. My home is going to be just so much brighter. I'm going to paint all the walls. in it. Nope. Chances are you're going to go right back to the same thing. But you're going to have something on the inside of the inside. A different something in the control tower. And how does that get in there? By self-will. By you making the right decision to accept the Holy Spirit. To accept His Word. Hallelujah. That's the only avenue that's open to a man that God can come into his heart is by self-will. I want you to think about it this way. If we're out there just by faith, I'll say, making all the wrong decisions, not, not standing on any principle, you could stand in the most powerful presence of God and still make the wrong decision when it comes to receiving him. Now, you could turn around and make the right decision because God is sovereign. I'm not going to take that away from God. He's sovereign. He can move on your heart and change everything in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. But I'm talking about the type of David here. He had something that was working in his life that he made a good decision. He made a good decision. He made a good decision based on faith. And now when it comes to this decision, do you accept the anointing oil? He accepted it. Made the right decision. Hallelujah. Because his desire was to honor God. You choose it. You can choose right or wrong. Either one you want to. All right, we're still doing good. We're under an hour still, so we're going to carry on. David's anointing, anointing David, was God recognizing David's faith. Now let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Where do we leave off? Sister Tori, did you read the last scripture? No, it was Sister Priscilla. You read the last scripture. No, it was Sister Esther. Man, I really was losing track today. I don't know what I said. I don't know who read all right, Sister Priscilla, you can start. Verse 14, and then we'll just keep on going down this row. We'll get over here, Sister, Sister Judith, you want to read too? Yeah, you can read too when it comes to you, and then we'll skip back there to Sister Savannah and come back all the way to the end of chapter 16. Start in verse 14, Sister Priscilla.
Amen. Amen. So here we find David was anointed. Look at the first years after having the oil. It's not right away, Goliath. It's go and sit. Oh, he got honored. He's in the presence of Saul, the king. Not under good circumstances, mind you. Saul is under an evil spirit. And now here's the one that's anointed to take his place, to go and sit in his presence, and he has to sit there and watch Saul in all of his failures as a king, knowing he's anointed to be the next king. And Saul doesn't realize that David's anointed until chapters later, the women are singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Then it strikes Saul. Because David, anointed, doesn't say anything to him. He just serves humbly under the feet of Saul. Learning how to operate in a kingly court. A king's court is a totally different place than the shepherd's fold. You operate in a different way. You, 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 you talk in a different way. You walk in a different way. You dress in a different way. You make sure you don't smell like the sheep anymore. The shepherd always smells like the sheep, so the sheep know him, but now he's got to realize, I can't smell like that anymore. I've got to bathe more regularly. I've got to make sure I'm, I'm kept and I'm put together right, and I make sure that I'm, I'm in the right atmosphere, and I'm, I make sure that when he calls on me, now you notice, David, it wasn't just when he felt like picking up his harp. David now had to stay sharp. He had to stay prayed up. He had to stay under the right anointing so that when he was called to play before the king, he was ready. Under no circumstances could he say, you know what, I'm not feeling it today. I don't think I'm ready to get up and play the harp today because, man, I had a rough night or I'm just a little busy. I'm just, no. Now he realized after the anointing came, my life is service. Oh, praise God. That's a man after God's own heart. That's why God chose him because he realized this young man had the right motive and objective when he realized, Joe, I've been anointed king. That doesn't mean my life is everyone serves me. This means my life is service. Your life isn't so much different than David's because you, by the Holy Spirit, are anointed to be the queen of heaven. But that does not mean for a moment that your life is a life where everyone serves you. But rather our lives are lives of service, pointing people to the cross. Amen. No matter what they do. That's why Jesus, when he came and said, what do you do? When they slap you on this side, turn the other cheek. How many times will I forgive my brother? Seven times 70. Why? Because our life, even though we are, are a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a peculiar people, we're kings and priests before God. But that doesn't make us, everyone ought to serve us. No, but rather we are a life of service. Just like David recognized, I now need to make sure I stay in the right atmosphere so that I'm ready when I'm called upon. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And David was somebody, I love this verse in, in, in verse 18. We'll read it again. He had this reputation. <laughs> One of the servants answered him, 
So some time had passed now where we realized that, that David had a reputation with the men. They said, he is a cunning and playing. He's a good musician. And a mighty, valiant man. They said, I don't have a clue what that has to do with playing the harp for the king. But that was his reputation. And a man of war. That certainly has nothing to do with playing the harp for the king. But that was his reputation. Prudent in matters and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Now we could take that verse. Why don't we also turn over into chapter 17 for a moment. Chapter 17, verse 31, it says, And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. I want you to catch that for a moment. It was never David saying, look what I did. Hallelujah. Not until he was called upon and asked. Before that, he was just out there in the shepherd's field, but his reputation was, he's a mighty man of war. You say, why is it nobody asking me to do more? Ask yourself this, what's my reputation? Am I known? What am I known for? Well, I don't want to say anything in case I point somebody out on this occasion. Someone thinks I'm preaching against them. It's not the case, but I want you to ask yourself that question. What's my reputation? Why am I not asked to be more? Why isn't somebody asking me to play more? Why isn't somebody asking me to preach? I feel like I'm calling in my life. What's your reputation? How do you talk? How do you approach people? Why isn't somebody asking me to play the, the instrument? Do you even practice? A mighty valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters. I think I'd make a good trustee. Are you prudent in matters? I'd be a great deacon, Brother Andrew. I'd set this church in order. Let me tell you, brother, man, there'd be no more. Are you prudent in matters? And a comely person, someone that's attractive, not in looks, but attractive to be around. Someone that other people desire to be around you, they're uplifted in your presence. And his reputation, I love this reputation, the last part, the Lord is with him. Hallelujah. Let me just change it for the last few minutes. Where Brother Branham says, let me drop this on this side. This is from great warrior David again. He says, don't think I'm excited, I'm not. If you listen to him preach it, he sounds very excited. <laughs> he says, but don't think I'm excited, I'm not. He says, look, let me drop it on this side. He says, those who had spent, he says, how many here has been justified by faith, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe we'd all put our hand up there. Every one of you that puts your hand up is justified by faith. Is that right? The scripture says, those who he's called, he has also justified. Those who he's justified, he has glorified. Amen. In the presence of the Almighty God, your names indelibly wrote with the blood of Jesus Christ glorified in his presence. 
Hallelujah. All right, so let's do it this way now. How many has he ever called? You feel the Lord's ever called you? How many has he ever justified? He's ever justified you. Your name is indelibly writ, written in the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, well, I, Brother Andrew, being a glorified son of God seems a million miles off. Those of you that didn't even put up your hand, say, I don't even know if I'm justified, Brother Andrew. I don't even know where I'm at. You might look and look, be looking at me going, that even justified looks, just get there. How do I get there? Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that simple. You're justified. Because when you repent of it and he forgives you, it's as though you never did it in the first place. That's how good God's forgiveness is. Hallelujah. He says, then positionally placed here on earth for a purpose to do the will of God. You see your position, a Christian. Oh my, them fellows up there, they couldn't understand it, but David had the anointing oil on him. Now we talk about David with the anointing oil on him. He says, he knowed where he was standing. Old Goliath stood up there and said, now look, let's reason. There's no need of God's armies being defeated. Well, look at this fellow standing out there making that big boast. Hallelujah. He still makes that, that boast today. He comes out there with cancer and says, there's no need for the God's armies to be defeated. Just let me take this one. But that's why we stand together in faith and say, no, we're going to pray for our brother or our sister. We don't accept that. So Goliath stood out there that way. He says, well, we know how God did it, but the days of miracles just passed. But not for David. He was anointed. He knowed where he was positionally. David was able to humble himself in the presence of God. He knew what it was to be humble. Anointed king playing harp. Watching the present king lose his temper. Thinking that's not very kingly. Watching the present king I was going to say it this way. Curse and swear. Anoint you with an evil spirit. Get angry at things. And the whole time just play his harp. Just sing. Unto the Lord. Praise the Lord at all times. Blessed be his holy name. Just sing the psalms that he'd written and he'd sung out in the sheep pasture. What was it? It was something. God knew exactly what he was doing. Called the shepherd, he knew what it was to remind Saul of where Saul came from. The peaceful times. It wasn't great spiritual things. Okay, I want you to understand this for a minute. This wasn't some great spiritual, like, wow, how did God do it with Saul? Saul used to be a shepherd. Saul used to be a shepherd too. So he brought a shepherd boy in that would sing about things that would remind a shepherd about the good old days of being a shepherd. Remember what I said about sometimes it's, you just got to do something a little natural to be a little spiritual. But he brought somebody in that could remind Saul what it was like when things, when things were peaceful. And his mind would begin to go back there to the peaceful times. And the evil spirit would leave him for a time being. 
Hallelujah. Let me close with this, this thought. He would talk about, in the message influence, he would talk about Isaiah, and he would talk about Isaiah and say, when the prophet saw that he was in the presence of God, he humbled himself. He says, look, first he humbled himself, then the fire cleansed him. And after the fire cleansed him, then it was a cleansed Isaiah. David couldn't defeat Goliath until he humbled himself. Isaiah couldn't be the great prophet Isaiah till he humbled himself. There has to come a humbling in the presence of God and recognizing, the Brown would say, recognizing our nothingness to understand he is everything. Hallelujah. He could say, here am I, Lord, send me. That was the call of a clean Isaiah after the Holy Ghost had cleaned him. He didn't need any seminary experiences. He didn't need a new, uh, any book experience. He had been cleansed by the fire of God and called into action. We see God in action. It's time for the church to get into action, to be examples of what God is. Do you know that? How many wants to confess all your wrongs and everything now and say, God, cleanse me? We need to humble ourselves. Look back at David. Humility is your attitude about the word of God towards yourself. That's humility. It's your attitude about the word of God to say, how can I be subject to this? How can this live in me and through me? To be able to humble yourself to that. It was David in action playing the harp in the presence of the king. Did David have everyone's respect? No. We'll read one more scripture. Psalm, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23. It says to start there. Where are we at? Sister Julia, verse 23, we'll read all the way down to verse 31. Continue on the same direction. I told you I'd close on that quote, but we'll close on the scripture, all right? Let's go, brother Daniel.
Amen. Brother Dwayne, verse 31. Amen. So here we find, as David comes up, we know how we already talked about how he said, he began to ask around, what's the reward? What's the reward? What's the reward? And all everyone answered him the same question, the same answer of what it would be. But now as he comes down to his own brother, his own brother hears him saying these things. These words of Eliab were not unfounded. In other words, something had happened in the past that Eliab thought this about his younger brother. And I want you to think of the picture we've painted here of Eliab and David. Here's Eliab, a man that has spent his life training to be a warrior. And who has the great story about I killed the bear and I killed the lion? His younger, handsome-looking musician brother. Little ruddy fellow. He's the one that's going around telling people, I killed the bear. And he's the boy, okay? Boys don't tell the story going, yeah, one day I killed a bear. No, it's, I was out there in the field. It was all quiet. The wind was blowing. The grass was just, just a little bit over here. The sheep were out here. They were kind of penned in a little bit in the corner. And I was under the harp. Oh, I had this amazing song I was playing on the harp. You should have heard it. Best melody I've ever sung. Let me tell you about it. And as I sung this melody, and it was like choirs of angels were backing me up as we were singing. And then there come a little growl that just didn't fit the harmony. I looked over, and there was a lion. And as it snuck up across the rock, and I happened to look over there, and I reached over, and my knife was just out of reach, but I reached over, and I, I seen I had my thing, and I just, there happened to be a rock there, and I picked that rock up, and I took it. It wasn't the perfect rock, let me tell you. It wasn't quite right, but it'll do, because I've got the skills. And I took that rock in my sling, and I began to sling that sling around. And as I began to sling it around, I'm telling you, I let that thing go. It flew so straight. I've never shot that straight in my life. And it nailed that thing. Boom! But I noticed as it went down, it kind of got up a little bit again. And I quickly jumped over like you've never seen me move before. And I grabbed that knife. And as I grabbed that knife, I ran over there, and I jumped off the rock. Ah! Yeah! And I was like, oh, my word. Again, with the story, it gets crazier every time he tells it. Every time the rock gets higher and the lion gets bigger and the mane gets longer and the knife gets smaller. and the, Every time he's telling it, man. And Eliab got this thing in his heart where he says, I know the pride of your heart. But hold on a second. God looked at David and said, I know his heart. And I chose that heart. But someone else looked at somebody testifying of the greatness of God in his own way and said, you're a haughty boy. I know the naughtiness of your heart. I know how you've decided to do all these things and you just telling stories and making up testimonies and your sickness wasn't that bad and it wasn't that hard and you were, it wasn't that great of a testimony and what has God ever done for me and I, I've, 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 I'm just ready for faith and I've never been tested. Well, here's your chance, Eliab. There's Goliath. Go get him. But he'd made the wrong decisions all his life. And now when it comes time to make another big decision, he's making the wrong one again. What was the decision he made? What's everybody else doing? Well, they're all still sitting down. All right, I'll just sit down. 
No one else wants to stand up and worship? I won't either. Okay, all right, we'll just stand here. Just here. No one else is clapping? I won't clap. No one else is raising their hands? I, I, I won't raise my hands. That was Eliab. But David says, I don't care. What do you think about me? What have I ever done to deserve that? But somebody else caught what David was saying. He went and rehearsed in the ears of Saul. Hey, Saul, there's a guy out here telling stories about lions and bears and asking, hey, how do I become the son-in-law of the king? How do I get related into this family? How do I become a great warrior? What's going to be done for me? I'll take this guy on. David in action. He didn't have everyone's respect. There'll always be somebody that looks at you and goes, that young person. They just get carried away. Don't worry about it. Serve God with an honest heart. Desire to please God in everything you do. Let's stand to our feet. Maybe it's not the service that you think we'll sing a clapping song, but I think we will sing the song that we started with. We're rising up. I believe there's young people here tonight that are desiring to raise up and make the right decisions. And have made the right decisions in the past, and now it's time to raise up. Say, I'm going to make sure I please God in my decisions. Amen. As I look out across the land, I see God's mighty hand As a bride of Christ adorned in her wedding gown Just like in days of old They stood in courage bold They turned that old world upside down Oh, rising up, rising up Church rising up, oh, we're rising up, we're rising up, we're a New Testament church.